Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Directed by boundary-breaking filmmaker Errol Morris, Wormwood explores the limits of knowledge about the past and the lengths to which we'll go to search for the truth. A twisting, evolving story of one man's 60-year quest to identify the circumstances of his father's mysterious death, combining virtuosic performances by Peter Skarsgård with Morris's legendary interview style, Wormwood examines this case from every possible angle, bringing the viewer face-to-face with some of the United States' darkest secrets. And that is the lead-up to the film called Wormwood. Uh, It is going to be on Netflix starting December 15th, as well as in theaters. It'll be a six-part event on Netflix. And I am honored and privileged to have with me today the director of Wormwood, and that would be Errol Morris. Errol, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Well, um, you know, it's funny. I am old enough to remember hearing this story of Frank Olson many, many years ago. And I heard it exactly the way you portrayed it in the film. And so let's start there. Uh, if And you'll have to help me. I don't want to give very much away in terms of the film, but there are some basic facts I think uh, our, our, our listeners should know. So why don't we start there? The basic facts that Frank Olson purportedly leapt out of a, a 13-story window to his death and that it was attributed to uh, as a CIA botched operation that he was on LSD when he did it. And that is the, the, that is the premise behind um, the story of Frank Olson. Is yes that... and no. Okay, go ahead. The story is a story that spans over 60 years um, and involves Frank Olson and his entire family, his wife, his three children, the oldest of the three children, Eric, um, was told initially very little about his father's death. And 22 years went by before it was revealed in an investigation of the CIA that his father was drugged with LSD and shortly thereafter leapt out of a window of the Statler Hotel in New York City going 13 floors to his death. Um, And that was the beginning Probably it happened much earlier, but the formal beginning of Eric's obsession with the question of what had happened to his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big story. Yes, it story is. encompassing many, many, many decades yeah. with various layers of the onion being peeled away bit by bit by bit. Well... Well, Errol, what was your entry point into the story? Did you know the story before you... Well, you probably knew it before you met Eric, but what to what was your understanding prior to meeting Eric Olson? Or how did... 
hard to reconstruct exactly what one was thinking at the beginning of any project. Okay. But I certainly knew that this involved the CIA Army scientist at Fort Detrick who was working on bioweapons, an expert on anthrax. And he had been implicated in the possible use of bioweapons by the United States in the Korean War. Mm. So the question has always been, over all of these decades, was he killed? Who killed him and why? Mm. And uh, it's a question that cuts to the heart of American history. There's so many mysteries here that have unfolded, almost like a set of Russian dolls. You open one up and there's another one inside and another one inside that and so on and so forth. Uh, The mystery of Eric's family, the mystery of what led to this obsession that he has actually never let go of. Yeah. And how all of this reflects on our own history, the history of our country. Yeah, and, and again, it, it's it's as you described it. it it's a, it is a story about uh, you know uh, it is really at the heart and soul of the question as to whether or not a democracy can keep secrets and 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 is and is it. A, what sort of corrosive effect do this, you know, decades and decades worth of protecting democracy from itself in some manner of speaking, the transparency that we have always assumed was part of the agreement in, in our relationship to our government and it would be that they would tell us the truth, even if it wasn't a particularly happy truth. Um, and that, to me, a lot of what is embedded in this story is is what you're talking is that is what I'm saying is is that this inability or I don't I don't want to characterize it too too much but there is this sort of tension between us knowing and and the idea of being protected from these secrets well, I don't know if I would characterize any of this that way okay sorry oh that's all right please um the government was trying to protect us. I don't quite see it that way. Mm-hmm. In the post-war period, the government embarked on secret missions, on lies that they didn't cover up in order to protect us. They covered them up to protect themselves. And well, that's the oddity of all of this is yeah. that we won this ferocious war against Japan and against Nazi Germany. And yet immediately having won that war, we entered one of the darkest periods in our history, the beginning of the Cold Wars, the Red Scares, um, the growth of the CIA and disinformation. Don't get me wrong, governments always lie to their people. It's endemic. But 
this was a different kind of lying. It was almost systemic lying. That somehow the government was running a strange campaign that people, particularly conspiracy theorists, have always been fascinated by MKUltra, the CIA program which dates from the early 50s. And MKUltra is, I don't know how best to describe it, it's catnip for conspiracy theorists because it describes a Manchurian candidate program, not uh, on the part of North Korea or China, but on our part. Uh, mind control, uh, memory alterations, uh, program assassins, and on and on and on and on, including the use of drugs, LSD in particular, as a truth serum. It was believed at that time that it was a way of getting people to spill the truth. And when it was administered surreptitiously to Frank Olson without him really knowing what they were doing, it produced, we don't know really what it produced, mm -hmm. because even the records of what happened then have been so adulterated, so changed, so manipulated, that there's only a partial record, and maybe an untrue record, mm -hmm. of what transpired then. Hmm. Did you approach Eric, or did Eric approach you? What was? How did that relationship begin? I approached Eric. Okay. And was his reaction initially positive? Did he understand? I mean, obviously, he knew who you were and understood your work in the past, but did did he... Any reservations on his part? Uh, I don't know how much of my work he was familiar with. Oh, okay. Um, and yes, he had reservations, but he also felt that I was serious about making the film and that I would try to pursue uh, answers yeah. about what had happened, that I could perhaps even be a potential ally in his quest for the truth. Mm -hmm. One of the things, by the way, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Errol Morris and the film is Wormwood. It is a, a it's premiering on December 15th on Netflix. It'll be a six-part story um, broken into six parts and um, also available in theaters uh, as well to start, starting on December 15th. The decision to make, in my opinion, make a, almost a parallel narrative film out of, out of the story of Wormwood Um it certainly complements one and the other. So we have the nonfiction and the fiction side of it. It seems like a, 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 almost a logical extension of where you started with um, the Thin Blue Line. It, in in this case, you just took it to uh, a, a spectacular level. The the the, uh, the the filmmaking on both sides of the documentary and the and the non and the uh, nonfiction 
are just wonderful. Just as a filmmaker, Errol, it's just a spectacular film to look at and watch. Well, thank you very much. Oh, it is. And uh, but what to take it to the degree that you did in this film? What was your? What were you thinking about as you were approaching this part of the project? Well, I'm always trying to extend what we mean by documentary, what we mean by nonfiction. And certainly, my entire career has been about attempts to change the form, to try uh, different things. Uh, and Wormwood, perhaps, is the most daring film that I've made. It combines so many diverse elements, mm -hmm. styles. Even speaking of film editorially, we did so many odd things in terms of the editing, of mixing uh, documentary and drama, um, of collaging imagery. Yeah. So it's, I hope, a step forward. Uh, it yeah well it is i mean did you you've not made a narrative film before so when you're as you're did it turn out as you were hoping i guess did you fulfill what you your expectations in making that part of the film y yes i i wish there was even more drama mm -hmm. but there is a lot and yeah. i hope that i will be able to do films like this again in the future Did and that this pioneering style which I call the everything bagel <laughs> um, because I was mixing so many different genres and styles yeah. that I'll be able to continue doing that with other projects yeah. do you see yourself making a straight up narrative film I could see myself doing it. I love working with actors. Yeah. I love shooting drama. Yeah. The actors evidently like working with me. Um, so why not? <laughs> well, I, I honestly, it, 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 I thought I, when I walked out of seeing it, I, I turned to a colleague and said, I wonder if you could just edit out. I mean, you could edit that to just be a narrative film to, as a standalone because it, it felt like it, it, it felt like you could. And um, I, I just in this in the visual, I do want to just mention the director of photography, uh, Igor Mart Martin Martinovich, and also yes. and Ellen Curris uh, are just. It is just uh, the the lighting, the 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 shots, the angles, the just everything about it. In on both sides of the equation here, it's just such a beautiful film to look at and. Um, and the acting. Let's let's mention Peter Skarsgård and Molly Parker and Scott Shepard and Tim Blake Nelson and Bob Balaban. They're just all and <laughs> Christian Camargo plays Lashbrook, who is really, really, truly wonderful. Yes, he is. Yes, you're right. Yes, it's. I just. Uh, I. I was just so thrilled to walk out of this film in the sense that I, I felt like I was seeing. Once again, you know, you're breaking through these barriers uh, with filmmaking and challenging people to see things in a in a in a different way as an artist, and uh, it's 
it is just oh I, I I wanted to see more it's all it's it is a, a total length four hours long um, but there was an interesting and I don't know if this is just coincidental or not but you refer to um, Hamlet in the film many times you do and I just happen to have a version of Hamlet, Kenneth Branagh's um, uh, film version of Hamlet, and it clocks in at exactly the same length of uh, uh, as your film. <laughs> really? Yes, it's exactly the same length. I think it's two hundred and forty-one minutes, two hundred forty-two minutes, uh, which, which I found How weird. I, I'm telling you, yeah, it's exactly the same length. So, uh, so yes, but um, that even that part of it too, which. Which was just really fitting in the way that you were able to present the the Hamlet aspect of of his story, of Eric's story, of the Olson story, really. Um, and uh, I don't know what else to say to you except that I I have been a fan of yours for as long as I can remember. Going back to the, my first film that I saw of yours was The Thin Blue Line, and it changed one changed my life i will tell you one of the reasons that i've been so thrilled to be able to continue in in uh interviewing um highlighting showcasing artists started with this uh absolute love affair with the art form and you were a, your films have been a big part of that so on a personal thank level you. oh thank you uh for your work and and for your dedication to your craft truly um so Errol Morris, thank you for for, for uh, being on Film School. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome, Errol Morris, the director of the film Wormwood. It's going to be screening December fifteenth on Netflix. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.